times. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today's episode is one of these very, very powerful episodes. Uh, today, I have with me Richard Hyduck. Richard Hyduck um, is one of um, many people in the world that are writing books right now. But his book is something special. It's dealing with baby boomers in the state of West Virginia and in other places, but mainly West Virginia, and we're gonna add in Florida here. Um, these are two places that people retire to. People live their lives in every other state, but the our older populations generally end up either West Virginia or Florida. I mean, they end up other places, but Richard has a twist to things. So Richard, I'm gonna go ahead and just let you lead on into yourself, tell the listeners about yourself, and we'll go from there. Well, first of all, thanks for being on the letting me be on the show, Jr. I'm, I really feel honored to do that. Um, it sounds like you've got a really good audience uh, that that follows you, and that's that's uh, terrific. Appreciate um, that. And not and not easy these days. There's a lot of podcasters out there competing with you, but you're obviously doing well at it. Appreciate it. Thank you. So I I spent most of my life in the life sciences industry while I was working. I worked in biotech startups. Um, I had a couple of ones that I was the CEO of. And then more recently, about the last 12 years of my working life, I was a uh, consultant helping biotech companies, helping CEOs of biotech companies do just one thing. Don't make all the dumb mistakes that I made. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that would be important and valuable. It turns out the CEOs, especially first time CEOs say, why should I make the mistakes that other people make? Yes, I'd love you to help me out. So that, that was fun. And when I started thinking about retirement, I thought there's a way to do this that could be very cool. And that is gradually reduce my work and gradually increase my uh, retirement activities. So over a period of about five years, uh, each year I would do one less client and have a little less work. And each year I would add some retirement activity and start to kind of ease my way into it. Um, and my buddy said, oh, you'll never be able to work that. That'll never happen. Well, it, it worked out just fine. It was, it was a neat way to retire. Okay. All right. So um, let's dig into this. You have a book and I always like when I have authors on, I like you to tell the title of your book because you have the energy, you have that enigma about you. So go ahead and please tell the audience about your book and the name of it. Okay. The book is called Shifting Gears, 50 Baby Boomers Share Their Meaningful Journeys in Retirement. So it's a, it's a storytelling book. It's people that I've interviewed telling me what are they doing with this stage of their life? What are their passions? What are their joys? What are their challenges? What are their sadnesses? Uh, and how are, they, how are they dealing with all this? So it, it's, it's kind of uh, very much in their words, very candid, very much from the heart, uh, very much uh, what's the emotional connection to what they're doing in addition to what they're doing. Okay. Now, um, one thing that I always like to twist in here, and I always ask everybody at the very beginning, especially authors, what caused you to start writing a book? Like what, what happened in like, I understand uh, everything you explained just a moment ago, but what happened that just dawned on you one day that I need to put out a book. I need to put this information out into the world. I need to help people just beyond the consultant work that you were doing. There's two completely separate parts to that, uh, to that answer. 
the okay. first one, when I was seven years old, I wanted to be an author. And I was convinced. And all my buddies wanted to be a fireman or a test pilot or something like that. But I wanted to be an author. And every day, almost every day, I would write a story. Uh, uh, JR, it was never longer than a page. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was always something goofy. It was some sci-fi or fantasy or some, you know, just high imagination kind of story. And I got all this encouragement and pats on the back and all that. And I did that for about a year. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and then, you know what happens with seven-year-olds? After about a year, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go outside and play baseball. Okay. I'm going to go outside and ride my bike or I'm going to do this. But I'm done with the stories. And that was fun for the time, but I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and so I moved on. 65 years later, I came back to this dream. So I'm in my early 70s. Okay. And what triggered it at that point, I was talking with one of my buddies and a guy I'd known for quite a long time. And he said, you know, I've never told you this, but I went to the senior buddies and he says, well, I was kind of modest about it. I didn't want to be bragging about it. And I said, and how'd you do? He says, oh, I won a medal. Um, and, and I said, well, tell me the story. And so he kind of tells me this story. I said, geez, that's fascinating. And I had no idea uh, you were doing that. And, and he said, well, I don't like to brag about it. And I said, don't you think people want to hear a story like that? Um, and that, that kind of got me thinking. Um, and then over the next couple of weeks, over about the next four weeks, I had two other experiences that were almost, I had this moment where I said, I can be an author. These stories <laughs> need to be told. I can, I can devote the time to it. I've got the time to do it. I've got the perspective of a retiree because I've been retired for a while. Um, and boy, this would be kind of fun. The, the conversations that I'd had so far had been really interesting. And I said, okay, I'll go do it. Um, so off I went. Okay, now when you decided to write this book, you put this everything into implementation and got it rolling. The first day that you started writing, what was the first thing you put down on paper or did you type or uh, I always tell people, cause like I said, I'm 35. So I remember um, my mother, she had a brother typewriter, you know, people typed on different, different things, you know, just to get started. Where did you, what machine did you get started on or did you do it by hand? I kind of cheated. <laughs> cheated because I was telling other people's stories. So the way this began was me and a person and a tape recorder. Okay. Um, and I would say to them, tell me about this stage of your life. And then I would just shut up. Um, and I'd say, oh, really? Oh, why is that? And just let them expand and tell their stories and, 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 and go on it. And that's why I say I was kind of cheating. I got to use their words for most of the book. I just did some kind of connectors between their stories. <laughs> um, but then... And, and because I was letting these interviews flow freely and encouraging people to talk, some people got kind of carried away with that. At the end of the interview process, I had 800 pages of transcripts. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and I thought, JR, first time author, I said, I don't think an 800 page book's going to fly. Um, uh, so, so the big, big task was to say, how do I get from 800 pages down to 
kind of a, a reasonable length of book. Um, and, and that was, that was painful. Um, I bet that was the because these process. people had looked me in the eye. They told me a heart, a heartfelt story. And I said, you know, I can't cut any of this, Well, I had to. Um, uh, so some of the, some of the people I interviewed are not in the book. Some of the stories, some of the people told me three or four different stories and I had to pick like the best one out of that. Um, so that was a, that was a fairly giant task to narrow down what I had into what I thought would be the components of a book. So that was, that sounds like that was really hard. Cause that's kind of like, you know, I'm not saying play God, but I'm saying like you really had to orchestrate what you believe is going to be the most mass marketed thing and put it out there. So, um, one thing that I'd like to ask you, and I, and I think the, 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 no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, go, go ahead. I was listening. I was going to say, you know, part of the, part of the evolution of this was to say, I'm not going to do the, the most dramatic stories. I'm going to do the stories that fit together. So some of the stories are inspiring. Some are, are fairly ordinary, but important to that person. Um, some of the stories are uh, actually kind of sad where someone went through something difficult. But with that much content, what I said was, I don't want any duplicates. I want each story to have some meaning and something different from the story that's next to it. Thanks. To work with. So it's a really important question. And part of this was I had some, some people to start with who had good stories. And then at the end of every interview, I had the same question, who else should I talk to? And they'd say, well, what are you looking for? And I'd give them a little bit of a, a brief of what I was looking for. Um, and people would refer me really all over the country. Um, for the most part, it's, it's U.S. based, um, although I do have one guy from the U.K., but mostly it's U.S. And it's all over the country. It's from Alaska to Florida to I don't have a West Virginia story. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should have called you sooner. Um, but, but it's really all over the country and it's people of all walks of life. Um, um, the only bias in the book is that there's more optimism th than a random sample would have. Okay. Because when you call up a complete stranger and, and you say, tell me about your retirement and they say, Oh, it's just miserable. Everything is awful. And I said, Oh, can we talk about that? And they said, are you kidding me, buddy? We're not talking about that. But, but, but the people who had something interesting that was positive or maybe they'd gone through a rough patch and they were coming out the other side of it, those people were, were much happier to talk. So I, I've got a little bit of this, I call it an optimism bias, but I've got some other stories that, that are difficult and sad, but, but typically the story played out um, and, and the person worked through their difficulty. And that's good to have some woes in your story, you know, like you said, instead of everything being completely positive. So um, in incorporating this in the retired life, uh, did you like go out on the road yourself or did you meet people in any different places beyond like, uh, like, like what I'm trying to get at is like, did you cold call for these people after you got information from another person about a person or did you like meet people on the road? Well, I got, um, when I, when someone would refer me to, to another person, they'd do an introduction. So I wasn't calling as a complete stranger. Um, their friend had referred me. 
Um, I tried to do as much as I could in person, but um, that was not really practical to travel all over the country. So a lot of them were done on Zoom or, or on, even on the telephone. Um, um, some of, there, there's an, an example that talks that 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 kind of illustrates how I how I recruited. I said I want to have a story from Alaska. I th I thought that'd be a neat place to retire, and then right. I thought, but I don't know anybody in Alaska. I don't know anybody who knows anybody in Alaska. Um, so I actually put an ad on Craigslist, and I <laughs> and I said I don't know what's going to happen here, but um, I said who wants to tell their retirement story? I'd love to hear an Alaska story. And this, this one guy came back to me and he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I was just talking to him the other day and he says, I don't believe I responded to a Craigslist ad to tell my retirement story. And I said, <laughs> well, I'm so glad you did because it was a great story and he lives near the mountains and he's got all of these great things that he's doing. Um, but uh, that one came in by Craigslist. Um, hey, that's wild. But, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to get. I thought, well, you know, what the heck, I'll try it. Um, uh, but most of them are referrals. Most of them are are people, and I I would as I would interview people, I got kind of a mailing list of the people I'd interviewed, and I'd say, I'm looking for somebody that has the following characteristics. Anybody got any ideas? And then people would send me send me stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> so it was kind of fun, but it was kind of classic networking. You know, you just keep asking, you just keep expanding your circle, um, and. Um, and everybody loves to tell stories, you know, that's just part of human, uh, human nature. Okay. Now, did you go on the road at all? Like in an RV, did you go anywhere like traveling since you've been retired? Um, any part of your story, uh, where you were on the road that you want to tell the uh, audience about? Yes. I, um, for the most, for the most part, I was, um, based here in California and, and met, people here face to face. And I had a couple of examples that, that were not like that. Um, but one of the stories that I, that I found uh, was about a guy and his wife who decided their retirement was gonna be built around an RV. Okay. Um, and, and, they, and they always wanted to do that. They, they had this kind of burning desire their whole lives. When they retired, they said, let's, let's do it. And he described that process in kind of three steps. And he said, we didn't really plan it this way, but it just turned out this way. He says, when I first got the RV, he said, I'd never driven an RV in my life. I didn't want to take a big, huge trip while I was still learning how to drive this big monster vehicle. Um, and uh, so they would do things around, around uh, within like a hundred mile circle. Okay. And they'd They'd usually go to a place where they could do some hiking or where there was some attraction that they wanted to see. And um, um, they really had a good time with that. And then kind of the next season, they said, you know, if you have an RV, you ought to get out and about. Correct. And so they started taking these giant trips to see the national parks all, all over the country. Um, they, they took one really long trip th through Canada and through the western parts of the United States and, and saw just incredible, incredible stuff. Um, and um, uh, they did that a couple of times. They had one trip. They went into Mexico uh, in a caravan of RVs. Um, 
and I think he, I think it was 21 RVs in a caravan together, and then they had like a tour guide, and um, <laughs> and he said I don't know how the money changed hands, but when we got to the border, we didn't even slow down; they just waved us through. <laughs> <laughs> So they were, and uh, and then they stuck together as a group, you know, of the 21 RVs and just had a great time uh, together in Mexico. Okay. Now, um, let me ask you this, because we talked about a little bit of the positive uh, that went on in your book. Is there any person that you uh, would like to let the audience know about? Just a little excerpt, because like I said, you got a book coming out and we want to keep selling that. We want that book to sell and hit high numbers. Did anybody like hit like a, like have a personal story that was kind of rocky? That you could share with the audience. There were there were a few, but let me share one that that I I thought was was really uh, an interesting one. Um, this guy, uh, you know, in his sixties, went through uh, one of those really rough divorces where it's contested. They were fighting every step of the way. Um, at the same time, his business he was he had a consulting business, and his business started slipping as well as his during a, a, a slow time in the economy. Um, and then the, the kind of crowning uh, disappointment for him was in this contested divorce, his daughter um, essentially abandoned him and, and, and oh. said, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with mom. Um, so now this guy is down and he is out. And uh, he just, he, he went through a really rough, rough patch. Um, he had been, um, in his earlier days, he'd been a preacher. And he said, you know, I think I've got to return to something like that to get me through this. And so instead of being a, a preacher again, he became a volunteer at a church. And he said, I can help you through a lot of the rough patch that you're going through, you know, church attendance is down and, and people are not as enthusiastic about the church. So he, he joined a local church to help them as a volunteer to help them kind of rejuvenate um, the, the church. And then he did some, he did something else. He is very introspective guy. He, he thinks things through very carefully and he sat down and he wrote a mission statement and he just said, I'm going to do a plan, almost like a business plan for a company. Okay. So I have a mission statement. Here's so, so he's a real deductive thinker. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, in the mission statement, he says, I identified four elements of getting it back together. Um, he was going to volunteer. He was going to write. He was going to have one bucket of, I'm going to do whatever I can opportunistically do and whatever comes along that looks cool. Um, and and he, he um, uh, started down this path of exploring all of those things, moving, for, uh, moving forward with all of those things. And his whole mental attitude shifted. He, he really did kind of a reversal of all of this um, terrible, terrible stuff he'd been through. And what was really delightful in this story is as he became stronger, his daughter came back to him. Um, and uh, uh, he said, that was just a turning point in my life. I could, I could breathe again. I could feel good about myself again. He says, I, I went through as rough a patch as I could ever imagine. But once my daughter was back and I had a clear sense of what it would take for me to get myself back on track. Um, 
And this guy, I just, as I, as I sat, this is one I did face to face, you know, I looked him in the eye and you could just see him kind of puffing up with the pride of having worked through this really difficult patch. Um, and he did some things to reconcile a bit with his ex-wife. They're still not great buddies, but right. uh, <laughs> as you would expect, but at least they can talk to each other. Um, but the daughter coming back was was like the big, big turning point for him. And, and so what I'm gathering from this is where he was very resilient. Being, you know, having resiliency is something like, I don't, that's something that like, uh, I've always said it in life, not everybody's resilient, you know, not, not everybody can, people can bounce back, but someone that can bounce back and come back even better. Sounds like his story would be very interesting to read in there. Um, so let me ask you uh, a few more questions. And these are actually about you because I've put a little twist in here. Um, okay, sure. During your retirement, what has been something that's been really uplifting for you? That's an easy one. So I started volunteering um, with an organization here called Santa Clara University. And the volunteering is to mentor social entrepreneurs who are taking on some of the biggest issues in the world. Um, so I've, I've just recently worked with an organization that is providing innovative technology for shelter for refugees. Um, and it's, it's a young, energetic, smart group of people dedicated to, to accomplishing something in this just awful, awful refugee situation. And their enthusiasm, they are the first to admit there's times when they need somebody with some gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> and so they'll be going along and they're going to say, this is so important and I feel so passionate about it. Here's what I'm going to do. And so as a mentor, my job is not to say, oh, that's wrong. It's to say, oh, how are you going to do that? <laughs> oh, have you, what, what are the challenges of that? Why is it realistic? What is the data that suggests you can do that? Um, and it's, it's a great, great experience because it's working on some really important causes with some spectacularly interesting and devoted people, but being able to contribute to them in a way that they respect the need for it. They respect that someone from the outside looking in who's been around the block a few times and, and who doesn't have an agenda. I, you know, I want them to succeed is my only agenda. Um, I want them to take 100% credit for it. I want them to be the drivers of all this, but I desperately want them to succeed. Um, and that is, JR, that is so much um, a sense of purpose for my retirement. I, I just, Every time I'm interacting with groups like this, I just it just gives me a lift. Um, and I like that about you, pure intention. It's so hard to build that, instill that into people. And I, I kind of get the sense in what you do, you instill that into people. Um, so now, right now at this moment, I have to give you, I, I've started this in season three. We have a 2020 question. That's Diane Sawyer. That's Barbara Walters. It's not John Stossel because he was a joke. You know, he was comic relief on 2020. Um, okay. During your retirement, when did you have your breaking point? When did things get rough for you? Because we always get the good side of the story from anybody that's telling me what's going on with them. What was your rough patch for yourself during this? 
You may be surprised by the answer. I don't feel I've had that rough patch yet. And, and, and that doesn't mean it isn't around the corner. But there's, there's kind of three things that come, to, come into play here. I think retirement has freedom to, to do what you want to do the way you want to do it at the time you want to do it. And so it's a delightful time. Um, and I've taken advantage of every bit of that. Okay. But, but the two clouds around that uh, I've avoided so far. Um, and I, I, I refer to them simply as health and wealth. Okay. <laughs> all, that freedom, all that great stuff. If you're sick as a dog and you've got some chronic disease, you've got to adapt to it, but you're not going to have as great a retirement. Um, the second one is wealth. You don't have to be wealthy, but if you're broke, retirement's not going to be any fun. You're not going to be able to do much of the stuff you want to do. If you've got enough to get by, um, then you can have a great retirement. There's a lot of things you can do that don't cost a cent. Just take your time, and but you still got to pay the rent. You still got to you know pay for groceries. So I've avoided a problem with the health and wealth side, and I've taken advantage of the freedom of retirement side. And so, you know, knock on wood, I just I, I haven't really run into a rough patch. Um, and I'm glad to hear just, that. <laughs> let me just go back to one one other point I made earlier. I, I really think, uh, I've seen this with others as well, phasing into retirement makes it a lot easier. Um, and not everybody can do that. Sometimes, you know, you your work ends on day one and on day two, you're in retirement and it's an abrupt stop. And those people do have rough patches. But there's a handful of people in the book who gradually eased into retirement and their track record of success and of not having um, kind of down days and down things happening. Uh, it, it's just a much better way to retire if you can. Okay. Okay. And I like that. So I, I didn't, I didn't answer your question at all. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, listen, it was very choreographed. <laughs> <We'll say. laughs> um, so, so um, another one of these hard hitting questions. All right. Um, we have uh, just a fictional character. We'll just say Terry Jones Terry Jones is about to retire tomorrow. What are the things that you would have told Terry to do 10, or let's do it like this, 5, 10, 15 years to get ready for retirement? What would be your three key things that you would tell Terry to do before he got to the day he retired? The, the biggest of those is to look at retirement as something to go to. And that retirement, for a lot of people, retirement is them looking back and saying, I used to be an architect. I used to be a businessman. I used to be a factory worker. I'm an X something. I would say to everybody who's thinking about retirement, stop thinking about what you were Stop thinking about how you're going to end your work because you're just going to end and you're going to, and, and, and that's going to be in your past. Think about what you're going to and, and, and start focusing on it and find something that you've always wanted to do, something that this freedom allows you to do and go to it. Okay. So um, any examples of anybody that's adapting to, to this, do you, like from your book, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, is there anyone that kind of transition from like a big job or something that had a lot of authority um, 
into retirement that you have in there in your book? Yeah. One of the guys um, was in his early 50s. He was a very successful um, uh, IT executive. Um, and he realized in himself, I'm not really having any fun doing this. I've gotten good at, I've gotten so good at doing what I do. The people around me want me to do it again and again and again. And I want to do something different. And so he walked in one day and it was a little more protracted than this, but he essentially said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go off and, and take on some social impact kinds of things. Um, and in, in the middle of this, his daughters who were in their late teens, they were at dinner one night and they said, dad, it's disgusting how your generation is leaving this climate change problem to us. And what are you going to do about that? And he said, well, we recycle and we've got a solar panel out back. We've got, and they said, no, no, that isn't what we're talking about at all. And they essentially ripped up their dad for not being more aggressive about protecting the environment. And so this guy said, you know, he was leaving this job that he was not very happy with. And he began devoting himself to uh, climate change issues and trying to make a difference there. And he's a very talented executive. So his skills at doing that were really remarkable. Um, but he just said, it was time. He says, I, I walked away from a job that others would, would, would say was terrific. But, and he did it at, you know, in his early fifties, which is a fairly young age to be doing that. Um, and he loves what he's doing. He just thinks this is the, the right thing. And he said, the dinner table conversation now is a lot more fun. And the kids are asking, the, the kids are saying, well, what, what'd you do today? And what kind of impact is that going to have? And, and, uh, and, and for his kids, he, he's kind of opening the door to them that you don't have to have a traditional career. You can do things that are social impact behaviors um, and you can have a great life doing that. Um, so, so he, his story is really an interesting one and, and the involvement with his kids. I just thought that was fascinating. And that does sound pretty good. Okay. So now in the show, um, you, you know, we've talked about your book, um, and the listeners on a podcast, this is one thing I had to learn when I started doing this, they skip to different places in the podcast. And I apologize that we didn't do this earlier. Can you do me a favor and plug your book where people can do the pre-order, um, what platforms it'll be available on, and what forms of social media or any way they can reach you if they have questions or someone wants to schedule you for an event down the road, because this podcast is heard by everybody. I've even got fans in Bangladesh. That's 7% of my, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm 7% of my audience is from Bangladesh. Well, JR, if, if someone wants me to come speak about retirement in Bangladesh and to fly there, I'm not doing it. Just so, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, even if someone gave me a hundred bucks for it, I'm not doing it. Um, the book is, is uh, Shifting Gears, 50 Baby Boomers Share Their Meaningful Journeys in Retirement. Um, it's available um on for pre-order at the moment, but November 17th, it's available broadly. Uh, it's being published then. It's on Amazon. It's on all the major booksellers. Um, and, and that gives you access to the book. Um, but I think just as importantly, I have a website where 
I have a lot of blogging and a lot of social media connection. Um, your podcast will be posted there as well. Um, and that's richardhayduck.com. And uh, um, people who sign up on that website have, have been really enjoying a lot of the different updates that have been coming coming both from myself and from others. I have some some guests that come in and, and come onto my website and put in material as well. So okay, now my next question um, along with that, are there any engagements that you would like to let the audience know about? Because me and you both were on a Zoom call right now, but this uh, this podcast will be produced uh, or you know edited, worked over the weekend, and it'll be produced on Tuesday when your book drops. So are there any engagements or is there anything like you're doing like live anywhere, simulcasting or anything like that um, in the next few days or anything to go along with the book when you release it? Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking through the timing. So there's an event. So I have a, a Facebook page uh, that's Shifting Gears book and that all my events are, are posted there. Um, I've got one on the 16th of November, one on the 17th and one on the 19th are the ones that come to my mind. But if someone goes to that Facebook page, they can, they can see the full update of, of, of any events that I'm doing. Um, I was actually also invited to a shareholders meeting Whoa. to present to all the stockholders uh, at the annual general meeting. Um, it's a company that I used to be associated with. And they said, well, why don't you just come on into the, into the uh, annual general meeting and, and tell us about your book? He says, because most of the shareholders are in the age group that they should be hearing about that. Um, and so I'm going to be doing that uh, uh, later this month as well. And that's not open to the public. but Right. So you have a lot of ventures going on for you. Um, so um, I know you've listened to the podcast. It comes a point in the show where the audience, myself, we want to know something about you. We want to know a secret, some type of talent, just something that no one knows about you. Because I always uh, go and tell the same little line. Uh, I interviewed a rapper early on in the second season. And, you know, no take on the type of music he performs, but he can fix in a Rubik's Cube in 30 to 40 seconds. That type of brain function, I don't understand how he has that and what we could ever use it for. I think highly of it because I can't solve a Rubik's Cube like that. I'll just throw it away and buy a new one or change the stickers around. So what is a hidden talent or something that no one knows about you that the audience will know now? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think I think for your younger um, listeners, they would be stunned at how inept I am at technology. <laughs> I, I, half the time I can't get my cell phone to work. Half the time um, I was just trying to get my printer to scan something and I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. I mean, that's pretty basic stuff. That's, you know, press two buttons and it's supposed to do it. Right. So I think, I think that's a weakness that I try to hide from people because the rest of the world doesn't have that weakness. I have, um, uh, four consultants that I work with who are my grandsons. Okay. Uh, and so when I get in trouble, I call one of the grandsons and I say, well, I can't figure out how to do this. And they said, oh, it's easy. Just do this. Just do that. Um, so, so I think that's, it's probably not a secret to my grandsons, but uh, I think to the rest of the world, the fact that I am so uh, bumbling at doing these sorts of things. It's, it's, <laughs> so, so you're not tech savvy. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not I'm tech not savvy. savvy. I'm the opposite. And, and that's understandable. It happens to everybody. Um, and me and you can probably agree on this. Um, 
you know, it was a kind of a weird stretch from the Commodore 64 in the late 80s or middle 80s to the technology we have now. There was a huge gap because I was born in 1985 and my mom always tells me that she said somewhere in the 80s, right until you got to about 1991 and two, between 91 and 92, it just seemed like everything shifted. Technology just, you know, it, it, it caught up with the times and it, and it excelled beyond that and we've never been able to catch back up with it. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I, I think it's you know a lot of people say, well, that's a generational thing that the baby boomers are never going to be good at this, and I, I don't think that's true at all. Some of some of my friends are extremely proficient at this, um, um, uh, and and some of us aren't, and, and <laughs> I, I admire that they've been able to figure this out and to stay up with it. But uh, it's it's been too much for me. <laughs> well, as long like you said, as long as it doesn't buckle you down, um, you're good to go there. So, um, once again, Richard, I would like to thank you for being a guest on West Virginia Uncommonplace. This has been delightful. I've enjoyed it, and you got some great questions. <laughs> oh yeah, I try to get those in there. Um, so here's like the the major thing that we that I like to do um, behind anything that anybody does. There's always someone, something, or entities involved. Who would you like to give a shout out to that helped you along the way? Because I know there was somebody somewhere, just even if it was someone that critiqued something or someone was like, hey, don't do this. Or if it was a group of people, who would you like to give a shout out to for helping you get to where you are with this book? That's easy. There was a lady who is a professional freelance editor. Her name is Julia Pastore. And she was working next to me uh, to get from the 800-page transcript down to a book-length uh, uh, book. Um, and what was spectacular about her was that she knew how to deal with a first-time author. She knew how to be tough as nails on things that were screwed up without ever feeling, making me feel bad about it. And she'd smile and she'd say, oh, well, you know what? I think we ought to look at it this way. And then I'd say, well, no, I don't think so. And she'd say, well, let's think about that some more. So she was just tactful as she could be, but she knew what she was doing. And, and she knew both how to edit and how to manage me. <laughs> and, as a, and as a first time author, you know, I, 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 this was all new ground for me and I needed somebody who could, who could have that kind of an impact. And, and she really did. And she's a great lady. Okay. So um, a question that I like to ask authors a lot, because you are very good on this podcast. And I know you have a lot of engagements going on in life, right? Yes. What today with the advice, with everything you have going on with your books, keeps you from having your own podcast? Um, this is yeah, you know, I've, I've been asked that before. They said, isn't this, isn't your content unnatural for a podcast? Instead of writing it into a book, get the people on, on a podcast and interview them live. Um, I think um, I'm intrigued by that idea. But as, as you know, I think probably way better than I do. Some people are good guests and some aren't. True. <laughs> um, some of the great stories in the book were not told by great storytellers. Ah. Um, you know, the, it was a it was a big edit job to get it to be 
a cohesive story that wasn't bouncing all over the map and all that. And so I've kind, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of, of being a podcaster, but I look at that edit process and the fact that on a podcast, if you have to edit your podcast, that my would my guess would be that would be a giant nuisance and you'd lose the flow of it and all that. Whereas on a written document, you can edit and still have it be um, compelling and persuasive and, and emotional and, 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 and getting to the point. Okay, I like that answer. But, does, that but make, also, does that make sense? Because you, you know this business better than I do, but doesn't that make sense to you it, or not? It, it does make sense. And, and like um, one thing that I'll add in here that like I talked to a lot of people about uh, just in, in thinking about this, if you like with the editing part, uh, like you said, it's got to be a certain person that has the patience to do length. But with your type of stories, if you would coordinate it to 30 minutes, it would only take the one hour that you have free every week that you're not using now. Right, right. <laughs> but that's just for no, then I, But JR, then I'd have to compete with you and I don't want to do that. You're too good at this. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. So once again, Richard, I'll thank you for being on West Virginia and Commonplace. And the awesome thing about this, and, and, and I don't know if you took this into uh, consideration when we started talks and doing everything, you know, West Virginia, we have an elderly population. Like our, yes. we have 1.5 million people now. It used to be 1.8, but everybody went to Ohio and uh, Michigan. Um, but that, that that elderly population needs to know how to handle that old money. You know, we were we were the coal mining uh, epicenter until it went to Wyoming and other places like that. So you have a lot of people that have this this money in West Virginia that just live up in hollers and don't ever explore. So that was one thing that I will tell you on the podcast that really attracted me to your story because you're going to help West Virginians now. And I love to help anyone else in the world, the United States, wherever, but West Virginians as a whole, uh, our elderly population, they need this knowledge. They need to know where to go get this book. They need to know like where they can just sit down, think about things, you know, even if they're retired now, they're, they're, I, I believe something in your book, you could, someone that's halfway in between retiring and retired can still flip things around by reading the other stories to kind of help them, you know, work things out if they're in a negative patch or something bad's going on. So I want to commend you and thank you for this. Well, well, thank you for that comment. And just one, just one final comment. Um, intentionally, the book is stories and examples. And some people learn best from hearing a story. Some people need a list of the 12 things to do in retirement and check that box and do all that. Kind of, and there's a zillion of those books and some of them are really good at it. But a lot of people don't get anything out of a list of 12 things to do in retirement. They just want to say, show me somebody who's done something. Show me somebody else who's done something else. And let me pick and choose what matters to me. Um, and that's this book. This book is examples and stories. And there's nothing prescriptive. I never say, here's what you should do in retirement. Here's what you should uh, uh, list you should go through. Um, even though there are some merits to having lists and organized structures and all that, this is a book of stories about people who have done it. Right. And I think with that type of narrative, you know, that's what people need, you know. I, I, I think I truly... some people learn best that way. I think they're, they're, 
I, I said to somebody the other day, I said, if somebody's looking for a list of the 12 things to do in retirement, please don't buy my book. <laughs> please don't buy my <laughs> book if you're looking for that list. Because um, uh, it's, it's just not the essence of the book. <laughs> the essence of the book is stories that, uh, and you won't learn from every story, but if you go through all 50 stories, you'll, you'll have some perspectives that you didn't have before. Okay, and I and I think that they that will resonate with a lot of people that are in this age group and younger, because that's something you're doing there, you know, now because we've got other people in the other generations that are getting near that are going to be retiring soon, and you know they may not have the same foundations that were afforded to you or that you afforded to yourself, you know. So, so that that's a good thing there. So once again, thank you for coming on. Um, after your book. sits out for a little bit. I always tell all my guests, you are always welcome to come back, uh, talk a little bit more and let us know about your next endeavor because you never know if there's going to be a part two. Okay, good. Thank thank you for that invitation. I, this has been fascinating. I'd love to love to come back. All right. Thank you.